Welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast, where two generations of owls, Michael the dad, me, and Hank the son, discuss the latest in movies, plays, books, video games, and more. Hello and welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Owl, and I'm here as always with... Hank Owl. Hank, what's new in your world, buddy? Well, the new seasons for all my favorite CWDC shows have been added to Netflix, so I'm getting back on the binge of all of them. Though it's so annoying because Crisis on Earth X takes place in all series, but they haven't updated Supergirl yet, so I have to pause my watching of Flash and DC's Legends of Tomorrow before I can... Well, that made no sense. I'll have to... Well, it's a it's a it's a it's a multi, like it's one episode, but it's like across all those same television shows, right? No, it's a it's a four part little special, okay. basically. So each episode is in a different series, but it's so all one connected storyline for yeah, this particular yeah. thing. So what I was meaning to say is I can't continue watching Flash and Legends until they add the new season of Supergirl. I gotcha. Any idea when that's going to happen? Um, no idea. Hopefully soon, since they just added the new, just added season four of Flash. So, all right. I and that's you. what I've spent all day watching. L- literally, I just ended an episode and sat in this chair. We we dragged you away. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> dragged me away from my Netflix. <laughs> well, what's new in your world? Well, it's now June, and it's therefore summer vacation for There's you. There's a hundred. Four days of summer vacation. vacation. That was a darn good show. That was a Phineas and Ferb theme song for you who don't know that. That's a really good show. If you don't know that, leave. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you mean that. I do uh, mean that. for like, what, seven to... I mean, you stopped watching it like at nine, I think, Mm. or so. But like, this is a good adult adult show, adult kids show to watch together. It's multi-layered. And it's funny. Uh, anyways, uh, so it's June, so we're trying to figure out new routines of uh, how do I as a dad get the work done, but also we got Hank, you know, around more. What do we do for fun? We can't lay around and watch the CW on Netflix all day long, every day of the summer. Also, I've kicked them out. This is my TV shows. Yeah, we used get to watch them together. together. What but, happened with that, man? Well, actually, no, no, no. We've watched episodes I already watched together that's true i'd already finished the, like you were on like two seasons after i was done with three seasons i like that show i just kind of couldn't keep up now you've but so this is these are the shows it's we st- started with flash but arrow was the first one there's also supergirl and what's the fourth is there a fourth uh legends dc's legends of tomorrow yeah so i'm behind on all this and i got tons of actors that i really dig in most and of these black widening which isn't a part of its connected universe or at least not that i know of i've watched like two episodes of black Lightning. well they should connect that up too and i can feel even more behind yay yay uh what are we going to discuss today solo star wars story yay uh, so I want to talk just a little bit about what I was preconceiving going in, or like when I first heard they were making a solo movie, I was about as excited as I could possibly be for a movie. Uh, Han Solo, he's the man. I was wanting the backstory. I was wanting to see everything. 
And then as like the year or more rolled around to when it was actually being released, I was eh, kind of didn't care as much. How about you? Were you excited in the beginning? I was indifferent when I heard about a Han Solo movie. I was still like, I wasn't. I was still easing into the Star Wars story genre-ish, even though I think Rogue One is the best Star Wars movie there is. Right, but we're going to talk about all that later. <laughs> we're going to do our favorites at the end of the episode. Yes. I was kind of like, so Star Wars is not that big good. of a deal to you compared it's, to, like, say, the Marvel movies. Okay. It would be... Marvel movies, I think, are a bigger deal to me since I guess I watch them more and I care about them more. And Star Wars, like, seems like it would be, like, a special thing. Like, I'd care about Star Wars more if it came out, like, every three years like it did before. Okay. I think a lot of it has to do with your age and when you were exposed. Like, when the movies first came out... Because the Star Wars movies, you know, were like right in my, you know, sweet spot as a kid and, you know, watching movies. Uh, and they were amazing and changed the whole landscape. And the Marvel movies have been doing the same kind of thing, like for your childhood and your growing up. Yes. So I think that's part of it. Well, let's, let's talk about it. What did, overall, what did you think of the movie? And this is spoilers, 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 everywhere spoilers. Spoilers, <laughs> Turn it off if you haven't seen it. And go see it. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Sorry, I had to finish my song. Sorry, I was rolling my eyes over the radio. Okay, so my favorite parts were the character interactions like before we get to the big part of the movie like the train scene that stuff where we get to like know these characters and um uh i'm think trying to think of the actor who plays that other hunger games character the other hunger games character uh, yeah the gruff oh dude. woody harrelson yeah, Woody Harrelson. I love Woody Harrelson. He's my plays my favorite Hunger Games character. And I just thought that was awesome getting to see like the reaction. They're all trying to get the money to do other things and it felt like a little more of like a smaller universe before we met Crimson Dawn. Yeah, it was very much a nice kind well, of was, set yeah, piece. Yeah, it was a nice set piece. And then, but once we met Chris and Dawn, it kind of went into the bigger universe. And I was reminded, like, oh, this is all this is going to go on during this movie, and it isn't just going to be the smaller plot that we that I. So you were liking the smaller I movies. I like the smaller of, movie because it starts yeah. off. The movie starts off with boom, him as a you know young child trying to get out. That's like the prologue. He you know he gets out. The girl doesn't. Then, boom, he's in the military because he's gotten kicked out of being a pilot. And now he's like an infantryman. He finds Woody Harrelson's dude and his gang trying to steal a ship so they could then use it to rob a train because they were hired by Crimson Dawn. I I like that small plot. I liked my this group trying to do this one thing and I guess he lost the connection to the greater Star Wars universe, which is what I liked. I liked the 
smaller, shielded from the rest of like the Empire and stuff. Yeah, I kind of did too. It was kind um, of people have compared this movie to like dang. the Star Wars version of a western. You know, there's a great history in cinema and storytelling of you know guys trying to rob a train. Like that's like a classic western trope. And I thought they did it really well here. Uh, I dug the train for that was cool how it operated. And I liked all the, yeah, I liked the ensemble they built around. And each person kind of had their own thing, but it didn't feel forced when they were like kind of giving their little bit of exposition. It was really nicely done. It wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm John. My job is to do this, and I'm doing this because of X. You know, it just felt nice and natural and cool. Yeah. Shout out to John Favreau for doing the voice of the, uh, the multi-armed or legged dude oh, that who was, was the John, pilot. That was John Favreau. That was John Favreau, right? Yeah. Good team. Yeah, very cool. All right, so they do that. He, this was interesting to me. So he drops the payload, you know, when they're trying to, you know, get this energy and infant's nest, infant's nest, infant's nest is yeah. there as well. And they're both tugging it and they both drop it and it blows up. But that, I thought that was like a cool little, um, it's not a cookie. What do you call it? A cool, uh, it's something hidden in a movie that references Easter other movies. Easter egg. <laughs> Thank you. What's a cookie? A, a cookie, cookie is like a is website like a tab. thing. No, yeah, it's like the different tabs. All right, anyway, so a cool Easter egg. Because remember, like in Star Wars Episode Five or whatever, he's like, Jabba's like, I can't, you know, if I, I got to punish a smuggler who, you know, I can't reward somebody who drops their payload all the time. Right? Am I making that up? Don't, I think you're making that up. You're making that up. I think you're, oh, I, I wonder don't if that's, know. I wonder if that's Serenity. I'm thinking of. Oh, I, it might be. Oh, well, that ruins my whole little thing about this Easter egg and how. Well, there are other Easter eggs, though, too. Like, remember when he turns the ship, the Millennium Falcon, sideways? Like, in yeah. the Star Wars, like, from 4, 5, and 6? Like, to go through somewhere narrow? That's referenced in oh. the very beginning of this movie. And then, again, later on, he oh. does the same thing. That's, like, his signature move. And my point was going to be his also signature move is dropping payloads that he's smuggling when it gets dangerous. But I think that's ruined now by me remembering the wrong movie. Yes, and also oh, I love the like shooting first at the end or like, yes. yeah, he shot first. That is great because the original Star Wars, he shot first. The remastered ones, he doesn't. But everybody's like, yeah, but he really did. He shot first. And in this one at the very end, again, spoilers, um, he shoots first, and it's a very unambiguous, and this is cool where he learns to do that. So some people have been complaining about this movie that they don't have the completely cynical, uh, maverick Han Solo in this. And I think this is where it start starts. Like, this is where he kind of begins to get his, you know, heartbroken a little bit. And so he starts becoming the cynical by dude. By Kira. Who's working with... The guy Paul Bettany plays with those streaks down his face. I was talking about Darth Maul at the end. Oh, that's well, that's we got to go in the high order though. I mean, that's where she ends up. But she, first, she's working for Voss, Dross, my event. I think it was something to do with Voss. Yeah, let's go with the, the Paul Bettany. Yeah, let's go with Evil Vision. Yeah, exactly. How <laughs> uh, oh, good for what a great year for Paul Bettany to be in these, huh? you know, boom, Avengers and, you know, this go team. Um, All right, you continue on your shooting for and is going into his... Yeah, so he's getting more cynical because he's he's young. He's getting his heart broken. He's getting abused. 
Uh, he's, you know, working with people who are double-crossing him. So he's going to become that, you know, scruffy-looking Han Solo that Harrison Ford played in episode four. Yeah, I like this less scruffy version of Han Solo more than the scruffy Han Solo. Why well, say that? So you prefer this new actor versus Harrison Ford? Which is fine, but yeah. it's just surprising. Yeah, I prefer this. No yeah, way, that's cool. Then oh, this is surprising because when going into it, I'm like, this person's never going to live up to Harrison Ford. How can this person even become Han Solo like we know? Yeah. Like, I refuse to believe this actor. I'm like, you're not Harrison Ford. I don't like you. I kind of went into it with similar. I, was, I wanted to give him a chance. And I read some article in some magazine about him. I was like, look, this is a good dude. You know, let's try to get rid of like preconceived notions of what an even younger Harrison Ford would have been or how he would have played it. And this actor, I thought, did a great job. I thought he was smart, good looking, charming. Uh, I, I liked what he did. I really did. How did you feel about Lando? Um. I've never really liked Lando that much. Was well, that because he double crosses them? No, it's because he seemed kind of like just stale and normal. It was just like, okay, I know what this person's gonna do. He's gonna in, double in episode five. And- talking about episode five, yeah. I'm like, he's gonna double cross them. Like, he clearly seems like the person who would double cross. And he also seems like you're basically your average boss. Okay. Is what I thought of him. I think they improved on that a little bit in Han Solo. But it's still, I didn't get a right feeling from him. And also, uh, uh, who's the droid? L3. L3. Also, it seemed like his relationship with l3 like i definitely i totally didn't buy that at all i saw i felt no emotion from the death of l3 did you buy that they were their you know their friends you know they were close to each other yeah i bought that but i didn't really buy like the true emotion like Mm -hmm. i didn't buy that lando would be like super sad about the death of the co-pilot yeah okay so I, I, wanna, I didn't buy that relationship fully. I want to comment on a couple of things. Uh, I loved Lando back in episode five with the Billy D. Williams just because he was so smooth, Billy so conniving, and, uh, you know, very, very businessman, but also a little, you know, just car salesman, you know, you, like that line to Leah, like, you truly belong in the city of the clouds or something like that that he says. You know, very smooth operatory. Which, you know, Donald Glover captured awesomely, I think, in Solo. And I love the way Kira kind of sets him up and introduces, you know, him as a character. You know, he's very smooth, very smart, you know, blah, blah, blah. That kind of stuff was cool. And I liked the L3 robot and the idea of the relationship between her and Donald Glover. I would think it would be very lonely you know, being a captain and yeah, you have these fun, great poker games where you make a ton of money and you know, you're hanging out and drinking, but you're also, you know, it's also a lonely life. So I can see how he would bond with a co-pilot like that. And remember they had their little things that they do. They did like a motion with their hand before thing, you know, before taking off and 
you know, I got the sense that they were longtime companions. Now, did I feel anything when she died? Not really. Oh, yeah, I felt nothing. I felt absolutely nothing when she died. Basically, my main thought during that is, please don't let this be the big death of the movie, because I wanted to actually feel some emotion during the big death of a movie. So tell me, we this movie had a couple of big deaths. So what do you think was the big death, I think, and what I did you L3 feel? I think L3 was supposed to be the big death. Okay, what other deaths were there? There was Woody Harrelson's death and Voss. So did you? Death. What did you feel about either one of those? Voss's death. I felt more emotion during Voss's death than L three's death. Is that because he seemed like he was? He seemed more human. Like it seemed like L three had like two characterizing emotions, which was wanting equal rights. And wittiness. Right, and I like those and elements I, of her, but... But I felt like that's all I got from her. I felt she was a very, like, two-dimensional character. Like, those were, those were her two defining emotions, and that's what she was going to be during the whole movie. Well, yeah, she's a robot, so that's usually enough. So what about and, but, the death of, of Dross or Voss or whatever compared to the death of Woody Harrelson's character? Which one affected okay. you more? Woody Harrelson affected me the most because it felt like he was, by him dying, he was teaching Han Solo a lesson, which along with like, the shoot first. And it basically, it felt truly like he didn't want to die. And he felt truly like a relatable villain. Like a relatable, he was a very relatable character. You could see yourself doing the same thing for the things that he was after, which was a happy life and to pay off his debt. debt. And it shows that Sol- Solo, it teaches Solo to do things to people that he was friends with to get what he wants. It, yeah. So that was a very bad explanation. But. No, I, I thought that was good. I like that. And I get that. And, and agree. Um, also, so one thing we can learn from this movie is not to go into debt, correct? Yes. <laughs> Isn't that what everybody is trying to get out? You know, trying to get out of debt and one more big score and we'll live a life free of crime. That's kind of another good movie trope uh, for this kind of kind of film. Um, so and let's talk Dryden about... Dryden Voss was the name. Dryden Voss, nicely done. Uh, so let's talk about the ending and what it sets up for the future. What do you, what, um, how did you feel when you saw the reveal of who Kira's and who Crimson Dawn was really working for? First, I thought, really? Which was really for like these characters we haven't seen before working with this big baddie. And then, second thought was, yes, because I'm like, okay, this makes sense. And more Darth Maul is better Darth Maul. Yeah, so. I agree. Like you, we, we, you and I both want more information about Darth Maul. And I think Darth Maul sets up basically the plot of if there's like a secret, if there's a Han Solo trilogy, which I think is he, because right now Han Solo is in the Millennium Falcon, going to Tatooine to fight this big time gangster, which is gonna be Jabba the Hutt. 
That would make sense. Works for Jabba the Hutt. And some point during the second movie, Crimson Dawn comes in. And the third movie is this big gang war between Crimson Dawn and the Hutt cartel. And I think also set what also sets this up is during the beginning sequence, Kira says, we don't want to get caught up with Crimson Dawn and the Hutt cartel. So I think that sets up that um, they're going to be the two main players. And I think also that line sets up like like you don't have to stay bad because originally like they were being like, we're going to be good and stay away from these people. And Kira ends up working for Crimson Dawn and Han Solo is going to do a job for Jabba the Hutt. So I think it's kind of like irony in showing that like People like can change either for better or worse, right? Because it, for because they like direct line saying they don't want to be a part of these two groups, and I think they're going to be a part of these two groups. Do you want them to get back together at any point, like in mm. in Solo two or three? No, I think I want some like bonding in Solo three, which ends. I think Han Solo should have to kill like he had to kill Woody Harrelson. I think you should have to kill Kira. I think that might that that might be what happens and that'll be that that I think those actors I think they had a great uh Oh, they had a great relationship. Great chemistry. I thought though I've forgotten her name, but she was she's in uh, Game of Thrones also. She plays Khaleesi. I mean, she's an awesome actor. And I loved their chemistry together, and I kind of—it was cool. They kind of a little bit of a, like a film noir and a western kind of thing. They were kind of filming her a little bit noirish, which looked cool, and she can totally pull it off. And yeah, I'll be curious. I bet—I mean, I could see that plot going just like you said it, um, and I would totally watch that and be excited about it. As you were talking about the colors, I think the cinematography in this movie deserves the least a nomination for an Oscar. I would I would agree with that. I thought it was incredibly well shot. It didn't always look like a Star Wars movie. It kind of looked like Star Wars plus, you know, other kind of other um, ideas. Again, Which we had is, like the Western kind of look. We had the noir kind of look. Um, what did you think of the Kessel Run? I liked the Kessel Run. I personally, it was not my favorite part of the movie. And I preferred the more, like, places on that desert and interactions with Dryden Voss. But I thought the castle run was done well and was shown that there was... Trying to come up with the best word. I was thinking of saying struggle, but that doesn't sound right. Well, no, it was good challenges that they had to try to get out and do that. Uh, I was a little and bit disappointed in it. Oh, yeah, I was definitely disappointed. It felt like basically like a series of inf- of like unfortunate events. It was basically like, okay, this is going to happen, but then they're going to solve it with this, and then this is going to happen, they're going to solve it with this, and this is going to happen, and they solve it with this. Yeah. there's There's been two like very famous you know sci-fi fantasy movie setups that were paid off that I felt we're just I was a little disappointed by the first one was in one of the reboots of Star Trek where you see Captain Kirk you know complete the Kobayashi Maru you know training where you know which no one ever passes but you know throughout the TV show you know you know that Kirk is the only one that passed it and so then they actually show how he did it and how you find out and that I was underwhelmed by that and the same thing with like you know the Millennium Falcon is the ship you know to make the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs or 9 parsecs or whatever it was 
so we finally got to see that, but I was a little bit disappointed in that as well. But it wasn't bad necessarily. I just I wanted more just because it had been built up for so long. Yeah, I, I think they did the castle run to the best of their ability, but I don't. I don't think it worked that well. I think for a big like spaceship run, I think that was the ideal setup for the Kessel Run. I just think that if it was, I just think that if the Kessel Run like wasn't a spaceship route, they could have done it better with like some kind of setup and antagonist and an antagonist for it instead of just a series of natural events. Gotcha. I, uh, I'm surprised at how influenced I've been watching these movies from the Family Guy version of the four episodes four, five, and six. Oh, yeah. I would rather watch Family Guy A New Hope than actual A New Hope. <laughs> I, that's horrible, but I, I might agree with you. Uh, those, those are pretty great. So is a parsec a unit of time or, or distance, Hank? Distance. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Sorry, if you haven't seen The Family Guys uh, doing the four, five, and six, you, sh- you should totally do that. Uh, well, Hank, let's 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 rank these Star Wars movies. I saw an email uh, or a website. This was from Esquire Magazine, and they were ranking the Star Wars movies. So I thought that we would do the same. And uh, I honestly don't know which one you're going to pick. You've, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but I don't remember. Let's start from the. Let's just do what you want to do. Our top five. No, let's rank them. Let's do actual do all the, all all of them because there have there been what nine? Is that correct? Is it ten? I think it's ten. Ten Star Wars movies. All right. Well, let's uh, let's start with your what's your least favorite one? So I know Esquire picked Attack of the Clones as worse than Phantom Menace and. I think I agree with that. Tell me Actually, why. Actually, no. Okay, can we just tie Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace and just say you certainly can bad? You okay. can completely do that. I okay. I think they are differently. So can bad. we just do like an equal nine ten Phantom Menace Attack of the Clones? Because I think they're on an equal level of badness. Okay, and what would you put as your next least favorite one? You staying with the prequels, or would you break out into anything else? Esquire had for their next worst one, by the way, Solo. I I don't agree with that. I would I say then I'd go back to Revenge of the Sith. Okay, so the other prequel. Yep. All right. And so where do you go after that? I would go then... Wow, this is a hard decision. Yeah, I know. This is tough. So Esquire oh. goes from Solo, then their next one is, you know, going des- descending order to Return of the Jedi at the seventh best. I'm going to go A New Hope. A New Hope. Wow. Okay. All and right. then I'm going to go Solo. Okay. And then I'm going to go Empire Strikes Back. Okay. I keep thinking I'm forgetting one, but I'm sure I haven't. And then Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and then as my favorite, Rogue One. Okay, you are forgetting one. You're forgetting The Last Jedi. 
Kind of the one that oh, brought back. Oh, and Force Awakens. I'm forgetting Alaska and, and Force, Force Awakens. Awakens. Yeah. Okay. You do yours while I think. Okay. So I'll start with my least favorite one by far is The Phantom Menace. Jar Jar Binks is awful. Uh, I, this, my, my, I remember distinctly seeing this movie. So excited about it. Uh, your mom and I went down to downtown Manhattan, like saw like a midnight screening, stood in line for hours. It was awesome. It was so much fun. The hype was amazing. And then this character, Jar Jar Binks, hops on the screen and like jumps <laughs> into Obi-Wan's arms or maybe Gaijon Jin's arms. And, and I just, I, my thought was, I hope this character is not in the whole movie. <laughs> And then he was everywhere in the movie. But let me ask you this. Jar Jar Binks is also in Attack of the Clones. Much, much less. Okay, I mean, it's like 90% Jar Jar versus like 2% Jar Jar. <laughs> Sorry, so Phantom Menace by far is the worst thing ever. All right, after that, I'm going to put, I'm going to put Attack of the Clones, even though I thought it was much better than Phantom Menace. I think we're on the right track. And then I'll put those, my one after that, the other, the other prequel. The, what's, what's the word? The Revenge, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Uh, computer's not scrolling, so my list of movies is gone. So after that, I think I'm going to put, for the least worst, I'm going to say the Ewok one, uh, Return of the Jedi. No, I'm going to say, the, oh, I don't know. Yes, I'm going to say Return of the Jedi. One, because they've already destroyed the Death Star. It's just being rebuilt and they're doing it again. And as they say in the Family Guy thing, they go, that's what's so messed up. We've already done this. And he's right. They already, they've already done this. And the Ewoks, I think when I first saw it when I was a kid, I was like, oh, the Ewoks are kind of cute. Or like, I just liked them, you know, because I was young. But now they're, they're intolerable. Like, they're just really hard Did to watch. Did you insult Ewok culture? I totally insulted Ewok culture. <laughs> <laughs> disappointed so, with you and then after that I think I gotta go with The Force Awakens the one that started back because again the same thing okay now it's a Death Star killer planet thing but it's the same thing basically and I get why J.J. Abrams did that he had to usher in the series again you want to make it familiar but different but it was too familiar to me even though I liked a lot parts of it a lot um, are you ready to go back with yours yes okay my, so my number 10 would be number 10 are you starting all over all right, well then go go fast. Okay. <laughs> Number 10, Phantom Menace. 9, Attack of the Clones. 8, Vangela Seth. 7, Last Jedi. 6, Solo. 5, Force Awakens. Four, Empire Strikes Back. Three, A New Hope. Four, I mean, you know, two, um, the Ewok one. Hmm. Uh, one, Rogue One. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off where you are. I'm just my my very favorite one is also Rogue One, uh, which I'm surprised at. But it, but it's true, and then I loved. Uh, I'm gonna say the number two would have been the Empire Strikes Back, which is a horrible name when you really think about it. To me, the the Empire Strikes Back. Like, 
that's a bad title. I mean, we just kind of forgive it. We don't even think about it. We just say it real quick. The words don't mean anything. It just means, okay, cool movie. But The Empire Strikes Back. That's really the name of the movie? That's horrible. Also, if you look at Empire Strikes Back, the Empire isn't really doing much striking back. I think they just wait for them to come into their trap. Like, uh, only for the first part on Hoth are they really doing actual striking back. Hoth? Should be called Kolth. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, that's what the family guy thing again. All right, so so then, yeah, two. Uh, that three would be, I'm going to say, A New Hope. Um, then The Last Jedi. After that, I think. And then go with... We have a cat helping us out again in the podcast. So that's 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 my list. That's my favorites. Um, Solo, I put it four. I guess I put it. Yeah, Solo four. I mean, I didn't only yeah because looking back on these, they're maybe not as good as I remembered. I need to watch them again. I think, but I kind of don't want to. I don't. I think Marvel's doing a better job right now. We'll see. We'll see if yeah, Marvel's doing a better job than stuff. We'll see if Disney Disney steps up. Or not. We'll find out. Uh, all right, well, let's wind this up, Hank, buddy. So what are you reading these days? I'm reading Armada, which is Ernest Klein's second book after Ready Player One. I've only really just started it, but I'm definitely enjoying it. All right. I like the plot. It's kind of like a conspiracy between um, uh, like Lucasfilm and the arts and entertainment companies and the government. Basically, oh, that's cool. that all like like Star Wars and Starship Troopers movies like that were basically simulations to help train us for a possible alien attack. Okay, and that reminds me of uh, the Last Starfighter, a little bit of film that was good film in my childhood, which I'm sure they'll remake probably for you. Oh, Last Starfighter is actually like a big part of this book. Like it's his, like it's I think it's like the main character's like favorite movie. Okay, it was a pretty good movie. And then it also reminds me of, and I, this, I haven't read this or seen the movie Ender's Game. Like, isn't this a game where the game is actually a simulation for actual battle that'll be taking place? So that's kind of cool. That's a good, that's a good, good setup. I'm not saying just because it's been done before that you shouldn't use it, because <laughs> if it's been done before and works, then you totally should use it and just find a way to innovate it. Uh, that's cool. I just finished a book called The Book of Fate by Brad Metzler, and I hadn't heard him interviewed. I think on uh, maybe the James Altucher podcast. It might have been that or Brian Koppelman. I forgot which one. But an interesting so guy. Weird. He writes thrillers. He does political thrillers. Uh, a lot of them are like Washington, D.C. based. Uh, a lot of them are involved the White House. And he's known for doing meticulous research. But he also writes, he also resurrected one of the famous D.C. lines of comic books and has done some other really cool things. And he gave a great interview the book was just okay. Um, you know, I'd give like three out of five stars. That's why I think I gave it on Goodreads. Um, I'm going to read another one of his at some point. You know, it's good beach read, good thriller, but it wasn't wasn't even great for a thriller. Um, but, you know, it was worth reading. I enjoyed it. And, yeah. So let's let's figure out what, are, what rating system should we use for Solo? Oh, yeah, what should be the metric and what should we rate it? Should rate it in... I want to say kyber crystals, but there weren't a lot of lightsabers in there. What about dice? Because the dice was big, big motif throughout it. Yeah, let's do dice. All right. So 
How many oh, pairs no, of no, dice? No, we're not doing dice. We found much better. Remember coaxium. Okay, we'll do coaxium. Because I think and coaxium was the the been... fuel that they was like everybody. Coaxing was, wanted. yeah, that's what everybody was trying to steal <laughs> from the very beginning, even. Uh, all right, so how many vials, tubes of coaxium would you give it five as the best thing ever? One is eh. Three and eight ninths. <laughs> Three and eight ninths coaxium vials? Yeah. All right, I'm going to give it. Three and three quarters coaxium vials. So three point seven five coaxium vials is what I'll give it. Awesome. So our recommendation is to go see the movie. (laughs) So if you haven't seen it, you know, and I you know, a lot of people haven't. It's not done incredibly well at the box office compared to other Star Wars movies. It's done amazing for other companies, but for Disney it's certainly like like we would all be happy with it. But uh, you know, I'm hoping that it does well enough so that Solo 2 and Solo 3 get made. And uh, I urge you to go see it. Hank, do you urge them to go see it as well? Yes, I urge them to go see it. All right. Until next time, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Owls on Culture podcast. Our theme music was recorded and assembled by Marine Serzier and Antoine Hurrah. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can read the latest blog posts from the Owls on Culture hosts and sign up for the Flock email, a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.